You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. Uh, hey, everybody. Uh, the beginning of a podcast. That makes for great podcasts. That is awesome. <laughs> Guys, welcome to the... Uh, Gravity Leadership Podcast. It's great to be with you. My name is Ben Sternke. I'm one of the co-founders of Gravity Leadership here with my friend and fellow co-founder, Matt Tebby. Uh, Matt, say something hey. good. Yeah. <laughs> Matt just took a run, so I'm trying to make sure that I don't uh, stand too close to him. The room is getting hotter. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because uh, of the soundproofing that we do. So mm-hmm. Matt's forehead is sweaty. All right. This is, uh, I'm this nervous. is not what... I'm nervous. nervous. This is only our 42nd podcast. <laughs> what, what's going to happen? Ish, ish, yeah. Um, so guys, today, uh, the, I thought we'd call this podcast, Make Advent Great Again. Because it's just a slogan that came to my mind. I don't know where it came from. <laughs> it just, come, just popped in there, yeah, huh? Yeah, it just, you know. Um, in the spirit of Christmas, we can make red hats. And put a, put a, oh yeah, put red that hats. That would there. be great. Yeah, uh, Advent since it's close to Christmas. I know some of our listeners don't believe that we actually don't plan out anything we're going to say, which could, could be indicative of us starting the podcast today with, uh, <laughs> but right. but uh, that would have hit the cutting room floor. Yeah, probably. Right, it probably would have. No, but uh, I like it now that I think about it. Make Advent great. Maga, what is called Maga for short. Maga for short. If you're listening to the podcast and and mm. uh, you want to talk about this, just use the hashtag Maga on Twitter. <laughs> That's how we'll track some. Of this and that's stuff. how we'll track. I'm gonna hop on there after this and just see what's um, going to happen. We we want to welcome our friend. Yeah. So to talk about Advent, Advent, and its greatness, or whether we need to make it great again, um, we've got our friend Sean McCain, who is uh, 
joining us all the way from Austin, Texas. Sean, say say hi. Say, say uh, a word. Hi, everybody. I'm not sure I want to do this anymore, guys. <laughs> I'm out. I'm it's, out. A I'm out. it's a trap. It's a trap. He's from Texas. Uh, <laughs> although you're from Austin, Texas, which, right? You know, it's different. It's yeah, it's, different. it's still Texas. Yeah. Uh, so, Sean, introduce yourself a little bit to us. Uh, Sean, Sean, let me, let me say a couple things about Sean, and then Sean, I want to hear uh, what you would say about yourself. <laughs> uh, but Sean, uh, Sean McCain is a is an Anglican priest, uh, just like Matt and I. So this is like a little Anglican party. This is fun. Sean's actually part of our diocese called Diocese for the Church of uh, Churches for the Sake of Others. <laughs> I can say that. Um, and uh, Sean planted a church in Austin. How many years ago, Sean? Four years ago, three years ago. Um, yeah, but started about four years ago. Started about four years ago, um, and so we wanted to have Sean on. Uh, he's kind of our resident uh, expert on all things liturgical and ancient church. Uh, I'm always blown away by the amount of stuff that Sean knows about oh, no. thing, mm. things that I'm just learning about, and mm. I'm things that are like I'm starting to learn about stuff and it's starting to blow my mind. And I'm mm-hmm. like, Sean, have you ever heard of this? And he's like, yeah, I did a PhD on it four years ago. Yeah. And then he tells me all the stuff about it. <laughs> anyway, so Sean, uh, in trouble. yeah, introduce yourself a little bit. Like, like, give Give everybody a little flavor of who you are. Well, I'm a lot less uh, intelligent than you describe me to be, first of all. But um, I have, uh, I'm married. I have six children, yeah. one boy, five beautiful girls, mm. all under the age of 11. And we planted Resurrection in Austin um, a few years back. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. And it's, it, but to, just to identify or have some solidarity with your own journey, I wasn't born and raised Anglican, but yeah. kind of came in from the back door through seminary on accident, realizing I had fallen in love with a Catholic view of the church and what God's doing in the world. And it was enchanted, I think is a good way to say it. It was, mm. it was beautiful. Yeah. So, the, yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. So you went, you went to Fuller and you, you became entranced by liturgics and mystagogy. Yeah. Yeah. I spent a lot of, I, you know, there's one semester or quarter, I forget what we had quarters probably. Yeah, that's right. I, I was really good at <laughs> keeping up with that. I was so good at school. I, I spent a lot of time in the basement of the library reading uh, all these old crusty books that of, of people like the early church fathers and Catholic and Orthodox theologians and mm. um, chasing down questions about what is the church, to be honest. And it led me into all of these hallways and avenues that were really surprising that by the time I was all done at Fuller, I realized I came out and I was like, oh, I think I'm quite different. And I think, and I realized that's, that was what is called Anglican. <laughs> I yeah. think, right. Right. You found a name for it. You were like, oh, this it wasn't thing. intentional. Yeah. I really fell down the staircase of things. That's really how it happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's very similar uh, to my story. And I, I know Matt's as well, sort of discovering, yeah, oh, I've... wow, I, kn- I didn't expect this and I wasn't trying to do this. Yeah. 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 And, mm-hmm. and I fall down staircases a lot. That's yeah. true. So yeah, I... but that's more the... That's clumsiness. That's part so. of being me. So I was with my son last night on a date. He got some ice cream. I was having a pint of beer. And he said, Dad, who is Mexican Joe? And I was like, what? what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Why are right? you talking nonsense? Uh, and, he, and he goes, that's all I hear on, on TV right now is Mexican Joe. Mexican Joe wants to take your jobs to Mexico. Oh, and I, re- wow. I realized we're in, we're in election season, right? So we're in the season when Joe Donnelly in Indiana oh, yeah. is running against this guy named Mark. Uh, I don't know Mark whoever. Mark Braun. Mark Braun, that's yeah. it. And Mark Braun's running commercials about, quote, Mexican Joe. 
Oh my gosh, really? Yes. Wow. My son is like repeating this to me. I pulled it out of my mailbox this afternoon and it said Mexican Joe Donnelly wants to take your job. So it's in my, so it's, I got it out of the mailbox less than an hour ago. But what struck me is, what struck oh. me is my son uh, is being formed and shaped by our American calendar, mm. right? So the last, election season. the election season and, and the narratives and the, the advertisements and the messages and the propaganda are, you know, my 10-year-old watches maybe, we watched football yesterday together, we watched an NFL football game, and he saw a few of these commercials, Mm. and they were sticking with him that night. And so I'm wondering, as we talk, begin to talk about, we want to talk today about Advent and how Christians have a way of of telling time. Um, Can you just give us a a brief uh, introduction, maybe, or explanation about how did you, how was your heart strangely warmed? By the Christian way of telling time, and if you have any any thoughts about how that forms and shapes us in our American way of telling time, yeah. Um, well, I, there's a there's a few things. I'll come at it from a few angles that were impressive to me. Um, things that kind of jarred me in approaching Christian time. One is we hear this, um, you know, from different places that time is sacred, time is being made holy, set apart. Time is created by God. And I think everyone would go, yeah, we totally agree with that. But I, one of the things that really um, struck me was that we are, the concept that we're still living in sacred history. So when we think of hmm. the term sacred history or time, we think stuff that happened that we read about in the Bible, but doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, like and the Exodus or... Right. Yeah. It's stuff that will happen. And we kind of inadvertently place ourselves in this in-between time in which time is actually not really sacred on a functional level right. because some other time is sacred some other time now. Yeah. yeah and that's that's something right at the heart of the christian spirituality is that kind of the um some other place is sacred some other time is sacred some other people are sacred the other is this um is actually a a broken disposition that says that god is other and, and so he's elsewhere or not present or not involved, which is quite the opposite of the mystery of the incarnation, which kind of fractures all of those other kinds of divisions and breaks into our Hmm. personal space, our personal categories. Hmm. And that is really what Christmas and really leading up to it, Advent is all about is the mystery of the incarnation um, and what that does to all created things, including time. And so that, you know, one of the things that's, that haunts me a little bit is, so now what does it mean to be living in sacred history? Um, not as mm-hmm. if I'm sort of like Moses or something, but in such a way that God is actually, um, like the birthday prayer in the prayer book says, um, our time is in your hands, which is a beautiful way of blessing someone is beginning mm-hmm. by acknowledging the time that we have, whether past, present, or future is actually a possession of God's hmm. that we are stewards of. It doesn't even really belong to us. It's somebody else's. And, and therefore, we actually participate in his time, not really so much his and ours, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you can see already how there's something pretty confrontational about even you know, axioms like mo- time is money, those kinds of things. Right. They all start to unravel under this radically different way of viewing time as sacred. Yeah. And that the collection of time as a whole, when you zoom out, is, is sacred history. It's actually um, the chronology of God's saving 
acts in the world, hmm. past, present, and future. Is that too yeah. like meta? Is that too out there? No, that's great. It's like yeah. four podcasts right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah we have to. Uh, some people listen to podcasts at one and a half speed. You'll have to slow that one down to three quarters <laughs> speed to understand it. No, that's great, Sean. That's great. And so, and I think it's important for us to actually get some of that meta, you know, higher view of some of these things because. Um, you know, not not everybody who listens to this podcast obviously is coming from a tradition where Advent is a you know a foregone conclusion. Um, a lot of people are just like this is kind of a new thing in the evangelical church world, right? To start to celebrate Advent and Lent and some of these other seasons that you know churches, at least evangelical churches, haven't traditionally celebrated. Um, and I think there's a tendency to look at some of it and say like, what, like what, why, why would you do this? Is this just some hipster nonsense? You know, is this just like a cool thing to do now? Like all the worship leaders have skinny jeans and mustaches. And then, you know, we celebrate Advent and Lent, you know, that, that kind of thing. So I actually think it's really helpful to get this like broad view of time because it helps to give an apologetic maybe for like why people are having this intuition that like things like Advent and Lent and, and celebrating the Christian year and connecting our everyday ordinary lives to something other than the American consumer calendar, which tells us mainly when to shop and what to shop for. And when to vote. And when to vote, you know, every once in a while. But mostly it's about shopping, <laughs> yes. you know? Um, and there's a real it's practical, it's a, there's a real practical friction, I think, that happens when Christians live according to, um, like, the biblical time or the biblical calendar or, like, let's say the Christian calendar. Because when, when everyone's feasting and you're fasting, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or when, like so many times I'm like planting a church, I remember we had Sunday night service and the Super Bowl would roll around and no one would be there. <laughs> and I would be vesting and thinking, putting on this chasuble feels like a middle finger to the Super Bowl and I'm down with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I'm, and I'm like, man, if, can you imagine, for instance, if all of these sports leagues were going on Sunday morning and they were like went bankrupt because all of the Christians refused to go because there was their time was more valuably spent somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I, there's like, um, even in Christmas, like um, you see like the, the, the rush to the temple to worship the God of consumerism and capitalism at the mall. Mm-hmm. And yet you have these Christians who have a different story of time underway. That's has to do with less and with cl- like getting rid of clutter and actually tending to the needs of others and mm-hmm. um, being others focused. Um, it can be a real point of friction, like a, a, a counter witness just yes. by the way we tell time. So let me reset mm. this and recapitulate it just to kind of gather it up and hold it before us again. So in the incarnation and God becoming human and Jesus uh, entering entering time, he, he sacralizes time uh, for all time. And so we live in this sacred time where God with us is still present, to, even to the end of the age, right, by the Spirit in the church. And we then, uh, I've heard you use some prophetic language here, Sean, uh, that we, we, when we take dominion of our time and, and own the fact that uh, it's God's time, not ours, right? But also uh, what we do with our time is a spiritual discipline, right? Yeah. There's a, there's some th- there's a spirituality attached to that, that we are actually uh, stepping into a space of of reclaiming the sacred, yeah. Mm. That, and, and so then, and so then, Advent. So then, help us un- understand, like, 
you know, how yeah. Advent then becomes a practice or a discipline or a journey worth, or how that fits into that. Mm-hmm. Well, I would, I would say, like when I hear language, like, I know what you mean, but I want to clarify something you're saying. Stepping into a sense of time which reclaims the sacred, I would say we're not really stepping into anything and we're, we're not even needing to like reclaim Christmas, you know, or anything like that. Um, <laughs> but there in, in actuality for Christians and this is this posture totally matters because I know a lot of people who have really good intent, but like, you know, totally oppose Christmas because of pagan origin. And so they refuse to do this thing as a counter witness to culture and all that's like, I really well intended, I'm sure, but it, it's just ugly and not at all what I'm talking about. <laughs> what I'm talking about, um, is not stepping into something that's countercultural, but actually realizing that reality in the first place is God's own. And part of that is his time and the way in which he has oriented time and its beginning is by his son. And so by just acknowledging the incarnation as a kind of a hinge point of how we tell time is actually just stepping into reality for Christians. That's what we believe. So it's not like some sort of pretentious piety, but it's a, oh, it's, it's nice to be woke about this. Like this is, yeah. this is how things work. And we see that on a macro level with like an annual, on an annual basis in the Christian calendar, but you also see that on a weekly basis. You see that on a daily basis. That it breaks down into all the increments of time um, in the Christian life. So Advent is actually uh, the beginning of the Christian year. It's not January. It's actually December or, Jan- or the Advent season. Sunday is um, the first day of the new creation. So it begins our week. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and even morning prayer for us is the first thing we do um, as we begin our day. So in real practical ways, and it, this doesn't need to be some sort of philosophical like discussion of the metaphysics of time or anything. <laughs> really functionally, the practice is we begin with uh, with the revelation that God has time in his hands and, yeah. then he, and he gives this gift so generously to us. Yeah. So to wake up and acknowledge like, wow, God, you've given me the wealth of time, um, which we take for granted. People on their deathbeds realize this wealth, but we who have think we have plenty of it, we take this for granted. So there's something working kind of against the grain in us to say, to acknowledge that time is a gift mm. and then to take that gift as a steward and point it uh, along the lines of God's will for our lives mm. and to participate with like his good timing and, and not ours. So there's like a real practical discipline yeah. and spirituality that, that can be, yeah. that can flourish in people's lives. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I, I remember when I first uh, became enchanted by the, you know, the Christian calendar uh, in general, um, you know, but, you know, there were some people that would, um, what's that verse? There's a verse in the New Testament uh, talks about like, you shouldn't be celebrating seasons and days. You know what I mean? Paul's, Paul's like talking oh, to yeah. one of the, are you talking about the uh, your your Cretans feasts? Or yeah, your yeah, you're celebrating feasts, feasts and, and days. And, oh. Yeah, you shouldn't do you, like don't do that, right? And so there were people that, as I was talking about this, there were people who would you know kind of throw that back at me and say, well, what about this? What you know, what about Paul telling us that we shouldn't be doing those things? And I remember sort of realizing like, but we do those things. Like we right. we are marking time. We can't not mark time. We can't not mark things that are significant and, and talk about why they're significant. And so it's, it just struck me that like observing the Christian, and it's not like the Christian calendar has been like ordained by God as, you know, it's not like God said, thou shalt celebrate 
Christmas on December 25th, right? No. So this didn't come like out of scripture or anything. But it just struck me that um, any calendar that the church has devised that organizes itself around the life of Christ and, and his crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, right, and, and soon return, uh, that's got to be superior to a calendar that organizes itself around, you know, the greatness of our nation. Pilgrims. Or, you know. Candy. Pilgrims and candy, yeah, and scary ghosts <laughs> or whatever, you know, like all, all of that kind of stuff. It's It's got to be a better way for me to be formed as a Christian and for our communities to be formed as churches to observe time in a way that points us, as you said, like toward this reality, the reality of the incarnation, you know, Jesus Christ come in the flesh. Right. And whereas it's like time, I think Paul's getting at this, but even the prophets say, look, you celebrate all the right things at the right times but your hearts are far from God. Basically you're like a rotten people. Mm -hmm. So I think there is a good counterpoint to say, but time isn't some sort of substitute for a a transformed heart, like celebrating the right time, the right things at the right time. Right. Yeah. But like all kinds of disciplines, that's the case. Um, Yeah. So you're saying it's, it's wisdom, not righteousness. It's right. It's not something I, it's not something I'm doing to merit anything. It's not an end in and of itself. No, it's like, Oh, I went to church on Christmas. Therefore, I know God, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Right. And yeah. where, where people would throw out pretty much anything that would, that would hint at merit or sort mm-hmm. of um, disposable acts of piety that we can say that's, but that's not the, that's yeah. not Jesus. So we don't need it. We, the church is thrown at everything. People will throw out the liturgy because it gets in the way and they replace it with another liturgy and you just can't get away from it. Same thing right. with time. Yeah. You're going to mark it somehow. It's yeah. not the markings of time that are the problem, but it's um, how our hearts like you said, Matt, in wisdom, cooperate with that timing and entering into those seasons, not in um, kind of thin, flippant ways or just ways to like check a box, but when Advent rolls around to be asking questions like, God, you, you're coming to make a home with me. Mm-hmm. You're coming again as well to judge the living and the dead. Advent mm-hmm. anticipates both of those realities. Therefore, how shall I live? What are the ways you're inviting me to unclutter my life to make space for your presence. Hmm. Yeah, you just referenced a bit the coming, the first coming and second coming are, are two parts of the Advent uh, epicenter of the theme of Advent. Could you could you speak a bit more on what is the purpose of Advent? What what are the sure. th- what are the themes? How does it function theologically or even practically to get us ready for uh, quote Jesus's birthday? Right. So the, the, the four weeks leading up to Advent, we have, um, we hear from the prophets. It's, it's actually kind of counterintuitive. People think you're getting ready for Christmas. And so you sing carols and actually you don't, you sing uh, like one of my favorite hymns all year is let all mortal flesh keep silence, which I think is the only song like Christian song I've ever heard. That's basically saying everyone shut your mouths. (laughs) Because yeah. it's about to go down, you know, yeah. and I love that. Um, and so it's in in the in the hecticness hecticness of things. You have John the Baptist appearing in the readings, um, calling people to repentance, prepare the way of the Lord, you know. Uh, and then you have the prophets' voices doing the same thing. You have um, you, we get to spend time with Mary, who's preparing herself, and Elizabeth. And there's all of this preparatory prophetic word going out in Advent that is trying to straighten the path because the Messiah is on the way. 
And so, um, in that in that sense of like the the incarn the the feast of the incarnation itself on Christmas Day, um, the birth of the Christ Child um, is is one way we're anticipating that coming. But also that coming is uh, once again in the judgment that we say in the creed that Christ comes will come again to judge the living and the dead. Mm-hmm. And so we it kind of in some ways bookends our lives between the historic incarnation on the one hand and this reference point kind of along the lines of our telos um, is this um, Christ who has made all things right is coming to make all things right. And, um, t- and uh, to kind of make, and also to make all things new. And so you we're living in this place of kind of in between of um, Christ sanctifying all of creation and all of time and actually setting history on course to um, his, the consummation of all things, but also anticipating just kind of almost in the same breath. And that's how it even comes across in the readings in Advent is, is you're looking at both simultaneously. And even some scholars will say when we refer to the incarnation, we're not just talking about the birth, right. but we're talking about the whole life of Christ. Um, so you don't get a Christian expression of time that's like Christmas and Easter, um, but you have even those really bizarre moments or not bizarre, but kind of seemingly ordinary moments of Jesus wandering around in the, you know, in the Galilean countryside with his disciples. And we hear stories in ordinary time. So we get this whole uh, microcosm of the life of Christ all up front and all at once um, that we prepare for in Advent. And then we finally get to enjoy and begin on Christmas, but those, but the incarnation and the second coming by the incarnation, by the way, I mean the birth and the second coming, you have these kind of mental bookends of the Christian life that gets, that helps frame our understanding of where we're going in the next year. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. And uh, just to be clear too, when you say the readings, you're talking about the readings from the revised common lectionary. If anybody wants to look that up, like the, uh, we'll put a link to those in the show notes. Yeah, we'll put a link, put a link to that stuff uh, in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So, uh, our life, like the the Christian year beginning in Advent, Advent is this season of preparation, uh, making straight the way of the Lord, and that was a that was a message, you know, that John the Baptist, for example, uh, preached, kind of preparing people for uh, the initial appearing of Jesus, the initial Advent uh, of Jesus, which Advent just means coming, doesn't it? Just coming. Yeah, yeah the root in it is is veni, like Latin, like veni spirit, that like yeah. come or coming, yes. yeah. Veni Spiritus Sanctus. One of the things that I was surprised to learn about Advent when I began to practice it about 10 years ago was the fact that it is it's a it is a time of preparation. So growing up, I grew up in a liturgical tradition, but I wasn't really into it, you know? Mm-hmm. just kind of went to church and did my 58 minutes and then left. And I they, it was probably talked about, but, um, but it was until, until about 10 years ago that I realized that Advent is a time of, like, fasting. It's a time of it's a it's a time of identifying with this longing, this hope, this wilderness, this darkness, yeah. you know, this longing for light, uh, reckoning with your with your sin, incorporating an individual sin, and uh, I just always associate Advent with a time of consumption. Right, you know, it's time to make a list of everything your heart desires, yeah. and then you know, cross your fingers, yeah, right, sit on an old man's lap, yeah. that you don't know in the mall. Yep. <laughs> which is weird. It's yeah. just weird, dude. That, that it's just a weird. weird thing. Yeah. And then you hope you get all this, you all that. these goodies, right? So there's a sense in which, like, I I grew up laying up my hope mm. on all the things I couldn't get during the year, 
And in, and that's what Advent was for me. But mm. I'm learning that Advent is a laying down of all the things. Like it's it's a time of fasting, not not feasting. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a time for feasting. And like people, I think when they think, ah, Christians, why do they fast? And like, what's the deal with that? It is in preparation to party so ridiculously hard that it hurts. And for a very long time. And so, and like, for instance, when Christmas hits, when that drops, you know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? And we celebrate for 12 days and the rest of the world's like, y'all, we were done with that. The church is saying now we're just getting started. You like just we said have- something, yeah. You but you just said something that most people don't realize. Mm-hmm. If you if you buy listeners of the podcast, if you buy <laughs> Advent today as a bonus, <laughs> you you don't get one day of Christmas. You get twelve. You get twelve, 12. days. Yeah. Tell us about and fifty days of Easter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to wait till our Lent podcast. It's so much that. better. Uh, no, tell us about the twelve days of uh, Christmas. What's what what's yeah. what is that about? Well, um, kind of beside the history of how it, how it came about, it, it is how it's practiced, let's just say, is like, so the Advent home, the Christian home in Advent, you won't see typically a Christmas tree, actually. You'll mm-hmm. see things kind of bare. Things might be purple like they are in the church calendar, which is a color signaling to the family a time of preparation, a fasting of penitence, of saying, God, search my heart, um, bring unrecognized sin to the surface, like help me make space for you through repentance. And then when we get to Christmas, that's actually a, a tradition is to put the tree up and, and to decorate the heck out of that thing. Now for us, we've come from a different tradition. So not putting the tree up is like not an option in my household. Yeah, I, I was my just thinking one, through that. Right? Like yeah. We have and I was like, opinion. no, that's not going to work in my house. Either. So one compromise that we've done with this is mm-hmm. to set up a tree in Advent at some point. I'll stall as long as I can, but we'll finally buy a tree <laughs> and then Without decorating it all at once, every week we decorate another layer of preparation. Oh, that's really cool. Putting on more, putting on more, um, even filling in the manger scenes, um, kind of step by step, leaving the the little figurine Christ baby, which in all of our nativity scenes gets lost because our girls grab it and go play baby with it somewhere else. Yeah. And so we have all these empty mangers. Yeah. It's <laughs> awful. Empty mangers. Ben, that's a great title for a, an album. Or like a punk rock band. <laughs> for you too. Um but then when you get to Christmas, um, you have the Christ's Mass, which is actually like where Christmas comes from, is yep. the, the, the Mass of the Feast of the Incarnation. And it's white. It goes from purple to white. And you have this 12-day Blowout. celebration just of, of, seriously, of just every, I mean, even some traditions, you can like unpack presents each of those days. Mm. And it ends at the epiphany, which celebrates when the Magi come and, and when, when the, the Gentile world is being exposed to or revealed the Christ child. And so for instance, for us in our community, we'll have the biggest um, blowout pub party. We'll, we'll go to our local pub. We'll sing a bunch of hymns. We'll like spray everybody with holy water and bless everything, including huge piles of kegs of beer and send chalk home for people to mark their homes with this, this, this old Christian tradition prayer that's asked for God's blessing on their homes. And so everything is kind of being renewed and everything's being enchanted with the presence of divinity that is now among us. And everything is kind of pivoted, changed because of that. Yeah. Um, and you get, so you get like, you get that at Christmas. You also get that parts of Easter. There's other times where we have like just drawn out parties and you know you're partying well when it's like, are we done with this yet? Like, as I need to sleep, you know, <laughs> you know you're doing point. Christmas, right? Yeah. When you're tired. 
when you're yeah, tired. Some yeah. of our listeners have like 17 Christmas services. They know exactly how you feel. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, well, I, I'm not advocating for that. I, I know, <laughs> no, no, Sean, I think uh, what struck me as you were saying that is part of, part of the reason we fast and prepare is so we know how to feast. Right. We, so mm. we know how to party. Like, I think one of the things the church doesn't do so great is uh, lament, is be sad, is repent, right? Is to have a corporate time of confession or repentance. But one of the things we don't do well either is we don't know how to party very well. Like we mm. we outsource our parties, you know. And they're they're related. We don't yes, know how to they, party yeah. because we don't know how to fast. Yeah, totally. Exactly. And we live in a culture that says more, more, more party. Like life is a party, um, and it ends up making life not a party when you do it yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's was, counterintuitive. I'm really struck by that that idea that um, that we don't really know how, if we can't lament, then what you think is partying probably isn't really. Your joy is probably muted. And if you can't party, then your lament has probably been muted as well. Like they go together. Or even, I would say, if it's not lament, it's even just simplicity, doing without, resting. There's times to not have champagne for breakfast, you know, believe it or not. (laughs) What? And then when Christmas hits, there is plenty of time (laughs) to have champagne for breakfast. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Um, so what, so let's say, uh, Sean, uh, I'm, I'm a pastor, I'm listening to this podcast, or I'm just somebody listening to this podcast, and maybe I want to do something with my family, and I maybe haven't had a, a tradition of Advent, like, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm, I'm feeling this longing, I'm listening to this podcast, I'm like, man, I'd love to do something this year for Advent, um, I'd love to, you know, maybe lead my church through it, uh, do you have any recommendations, any resources, any, uh, ideas, um, where, where should people start, both if they want to lead, uh, and let's talk on those two levels, like if I'm a pastor and I want to lead my church through Advent, um, what, are some, what are some tips or things you can share with me? Uh, and then also, um, you know, if I just want to lead my family through some observation of Advent, like what, what would you say to somebody like that? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm, and I think about this regularly because there, there is, I know there's like um, some some allergies to the Christian traditions, to liturgical practice. And I totally get that. Yeah. So I think one way, but I, I think the way to um, work with that or maybe even overcome that is through beauty. No one has a problem with beauty. Uh, and so, um, the, and, but it, not in just sort of like a gaudy over the top way, but a very subtle, careful, thoughtful kind of beauty. So one way that I would suggest a few ways you could enter into this is every pastor prays during the service. Um, there are sermon series you can totally go and rip off prayers from the Book of Common Prayer during the Advent season and mm-hmm. offer those, even if you need to rewrite them in your own words or inspire your own prayer, help the Advent prayers orient your own prayer life, even as you share that with your congregation. That's a really easy way to do it. People may not even notice, but it also <laughs> helps to kind of govern the theme and the, the, the mood of that season. Um, Another way to do this is through uh, some ways that we've done it in the past to share um, books of, or like, for instance, uh, works of art um, that have that theme of um, preparation involved to have conversations of preparation, um, or even to share or reflect on things like um, I have in front of me right now, Malcolm Geith's Waiting on the Word. Um, These kinds of books that are um, like poetry and reflections every day through a certain season. Hmm. So even if you're not celebrating Advent, Formally in the church, you can have smaller groups of book studies that go through seasons of Advent and bring people in. This is genius because it's like 
the best, most beautiful poetry that help people enter into an understanding of time. That's hmm. a little bit different. Yeah. Um, and also I'd say maybe another way is, is uh, visually um, color actually can help really um, orient people's time. And none of this has to be like some, you know, super strict formal or like, you know, and perfectly in accord with like ancient practice stuff. This can be whatever a community can kind of um, whatever's palatable and appropriate for a community mm-hmm. introduce themes um, with and colors and try and orient people to a hold on a second before we jump into the Christmas season, the day after Halloween um, it's, it's important for us to, to pause and think about what time it is and who gets to tell time and ask some really provocative questions that might mm. point people to a more biblical understanding of what God's doing in the world and his timing with that. Those are a few examples. Yeah. Besides like the put up the Christmas tree slowly. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that, I've, I've heard a lot of other practical examples or, or uh, bless the beer kegs with holy water. Like I've heard that's that another too. practical example. Who doesn't yeah. want to do that? I, I definitely want to. I started thinking about whether or not we could manage that this yeah. year. Um, that's super helpful, man. That's really, that's really good. Um, one of the traditions that has been meaningful for us as well is uh, getting an, an Advent wreath. And so it, it's got the four... Advent's the four Sundays before Christmas, like whatever that, you know, whatever that is, sometimes uh, ends up being the Sunday right after Thanksgiving. But I don't think it is this year, is it? It's December 2nd is the first Sunday of Advent this year. Yeah, I can't believe uh, I didn't even mention the wreath. Yeah. Well, it's a big that, part of it. Yeah, it is a big part of it. So the, the Advent wreath has got four candles, one for each Sunday, and we'll light, we'll just have it in our dining room table and we'll just light, even if we don't do any specific prayers or liturgy about it, we'll just light the candle on the first Sunday of Advent. And it's interesting. Our kids have always been like, how many candles do we light? It's like they're trying to figure out where, like, where are we in the process here, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, wit, and what is this candle about, right? So each of the candles, I think, traditionally have a name, like it's hope and lo- joy, joy and peace. peace and love, right? And so you can kind of talk about those themes as well. That's been good for us, our family. So, Matt, you got anything else? Uh, something we do, we do, uh, like a little calendar that we bought. I bought this like before I had kids, but we, it's like you build a manger and you read the, you read oh, yeah. the story and you, you kind of build all the characters and it's a little anachronistic, you know? So part of my, part of, part of my type A comes out. I'm a little anal about it. You know, like there's like, you know, the shepherds show or the, not right. the shepherds, but the, the wise men show up before Christmas and stuff. The right. magi. Right. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but we build that and we do that every morning. And then we, we bought this thing. It's really cool. It's called a, um, it's called a labyrinth and it's this spy. It's this wood spiral that I think, I believe Ann Voskamp, one of her oh. kids makes them. Yeah, and, what's uh, that anyway, uh, it's, uh, it's a, it's an advent wreath that has a candle and a wooden like donkey with Mary on it, and you move the candle one hole, and you move the donkey, and it goes in a circle like a labyrinth into the into the center, like a spiral into the center of the circle, mm. and then it has this extender for Lent, <laughs> like because Lent's a little longer, and it's and then it's got a a wooden cross with with Jesus, and so it's a way for you to sort of mark how many days away you are from Christmas Day or Easter Sunday, mm. um, and I I love that we use that yeah. Um, as a way to mark time and as a way to, we put that in the center of our table. We tend to have conversations about things. Yeah. And that's all like a, just tools to tell the story. Right. I mean, that's what this right. is really all about. That's and so good. at the bare minimum, even having the tradition of leading up to Christmas and even on Christmas day, open the Bible and just read the story. 
yeah. um, and even pause without reading the whole story, read parts of it, leave your kids in suspense and say, what do you think? I wonder, I wonder what's going to, you know, that's yeah, the greatest question to ask. Next? Yeah. That's really what Advent's question is like, I wonder <laughs> in preparation. It's I wonder what's going to happen. Yeah. So to get your kids in that place or others in that place is the kids point. Are, yeah. They're really good at, at, at getting into that place. Like kids are, I'm just struck by that. Like it's, it's to tell the story, you know, the first couple chapters of Luke do that really well. If you just read that slowly over, uh, over the Advent season, over your breakfast champagne, over your breakfast. Nope. Nope. You're getting your seasons oh, confused. Not yeah. Not yet. Not. 12 I wish days some, of Christmas. I'm 42. I wish somebody would have told me. You don't, <laughs> have, I could have, been you don't having... have to have champagne oh, okay. every day. <laughs> I was breakfast. wishing somebody would have told me I could. <laughs> This is a new day for me. Hey, Sean, thanks for coming, man. Thanks for hanging out with us and uh, learning us a bit about. Yeah, uh, thank you for having me. But Evan, we yeah. should we should have you back uh, to talk about maybe church planting. Yep. Sure. Whatever. That'd be awesome. Are you up for that? I'm t- I'm up for whatever. I love hanging out with you guys. And maybe Lent. That'd be fun. To, it'd be fun to have you talk about Lent as well. I'd love to, I'd love to hear that as yep. well. Oh, sure. But Let's that's uh, that's several months away, guys. We got to get through Advent and Christmas <laughs> and Epiphany. And uh, and then we can then we can hit, hit up Lent. Sean, super good to be with you as always, friend. Uh, we'll have you back again. Thank you. It's good to be with you guys Peace. as well. All right, guys, make Advent great again. Go get them. <laughs> Talk. <laughs>